Last week, Micah spoke, um, and he talked a little bit about our Silverwood trip. So we took our girls to Silverwood for the first time last weekend. And I have, um, I have some pictures I'm going to show you in just a second about, about that trip. See, the girls completed a reading program at school. They had to do 10 hours of reading, and if they did their reading, then they got their free ticket. And this, the teacher, of course, you know, I would do the same thing, um, really played it up. And Silverwood is this really cool place, big roller coasters. You're going to love it. You have to do the reading, right, to get this ticket. And so the girls came home super excited. Mom, Dad, we have to go on the roller coasters. And Mike and I are thinking, well, they don't really know what a roller coaster is, but sure, we'll, we'll do it. You earn the tickets, we'll take you on this roller coaster. So the first picture you'll see here is of our whole family. We just buckled in, and the girls are stoked. They're so happy. Uh, so this is right before. And then the second picture um, this is us climbing. Now, if you've ever been on a roller coaster, that first climb, for me, that's, that's like the worst part ever. You can just tell from my expression right there, that is totally a plastered smile. Like, I am not looking forward. I do know what a roller coaster is. I've been on them, and I don't like them. But I, I put my big smile on. I'm, t- I'm whispering to, to Rachel sitting next to me, hey, you're going to be scared, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to be right here with you, okay? It's going to be okay. I promise, because I'm thinking she's about to freak out. And then the next picture, which you guys saw yet last week... <laughs> So Micah was able to keep his phone out um, for that first drop. And there's Alyssa's face and Rachel's face that you can't see is about the same. Just, you know, that feeling where your stomach feels like it's two feet above your head. And you're like, I don't know how that's humanly possible, but what is going on here? And then their, their faces weren't quite that bad the whole time, but there are certainly no smiles during the roller coaster ride until the very end. And this is us coming to the stop, and both Rachel and Alyssa were just looking around, smiling like, what just happened to me? (laughs) And uh, so when we got off, we asked them, so so did you you like that? And they're like, uh, like they couldn't even process what had happened. Yesterday, I asked the girls again, so what did you think about the roller coaster? And Alyssa was like, um... And she's like, ah, and I had to prompt her again. I said, well, would you do it again? And she was like, no. (laughs) And I said, well, did you have fun? And she said, well, kind of. (laughs) So this, uh, the lesson that we're going to talk about today, the story we're going to read today, really reminded me of this experience on, on the roller coaster. Last week, Micah talked about God calling Moses and God saying to Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you, but here's what I have. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And this week, we're going to look a little bit at that story. And, uh, and sometimes when we think we're saying yes to God, we think it should, I mean, he's God, he's almighty, he can make anything happen. If we're saying yes and doing his will, well, then it should be pretty easy, right? And, uh, and that's not the case for Moses. He goes on this giant roller coaster ride, and uh, it's, it's pretty it's pretty insane. So what we're going to do today is we're going to just walk through the first part of Exodus, and I'm just going to tell the story. And then right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the story, Moses has this encounter with God. And I, and I want us to look him more closely at that story. 
So after Moses says yes to God, after he argued with God and he finally says yes to God, he goes and he asks Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh doesn't want to let his three million slaves go. And so he says no, and he gets um, really mean about it, and he gets really harsh, and he starts to treating, treating them worse. And, um, and the people come to Moses angry, and they say to him, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You, you put a sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us. And, and Moses doesn't know what to say to the people. And he, he goes to God and he says, God, why, why are you doing this? Why are you bringing this trouble on this people? And, and why is it that you sent me? And I can, I can almost hear Moses' thought process thinking, this isn't what was planned. You told me you would help them get out of Egypt. What's, what's going on? But God responds to Moses and he says, trust me, I have big plans for getting the people out of Egypt. And um, you may have heard the story of the ten plagues that, that God brings about on the Egyptians against the Egyptian gods. And eventually Pharaoh relents and lets the people go. And in this crazy God thing, turn of events, um, the Egyptians actually give the Israelites everything they need for their journey and, 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 and give them all the provisions that they need. And so the Israelites are elated. Three million people walk out of Egypt who've been enslaved their whole life and they're finally free. And a few days into the journey, they hit, they hit the Red Sea. And once they realize they're, they're trapped at the Red Sea, they also look back and they see Pharaoh's army. And Pharaoh, who had changed his mind, had sent his highly trained soldiers with their chariots and horses to, to go after them and to, to capture them and to bring them back. And, uh, and the people go to Moses and say, what have you done to us by bringing us out here? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone? And so the people go to Moses, who's following what God, God's calling and say, what have you done? Like, we told you to leave us there, and here you've brought all this trouble upon us. But God had warned Moses, and Moses knew what to say, and he said, just wait, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And, and it's an amazing story. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And the Lord comes and he blocks off the army and he parts the Red Sea and the people go through. And um, Pharaoh's army is washed away in the Red Sea. And so the people rejoice. And Moses, I can imagine him feeling pretty good at that moment. Like, yeah, God is, is going with us. He's fulfilling his promises. We're finally completely out of Egypt. And a few days into the journey, things start to change. The people again come to Moses angry and frustrated and say, if only we had died in Egypt, if only we hadn't followed you, because here we're just going to starve to death. At least there we would have died surrounded by pots of meat, is what they told him. And... Um, and Moses prays to God, and he and God gives him instructions. And Moses relays the instructions to the people and say, here's what God has planned for you. He's going to send quail in the evening. He's going to send manna, which is a type of bread in the morning, and God will provide. And they see God do this miracle for them every single day, twice a day. And as they're going to, they see God in a pillar of cloud and, and fire at night. So, so they have these visuals of God going with them. And yet, further down the road, they get angry again with Moses. And they say, 
this time they don't, they, they don't argue with him. They just demand. They come to him and demand and say, give us water. Imagine three million people in a desert. Water would be hard to come by. And Moses cries out to God, and he says, what am I supposed to do? They're ready to stone me. The people are revolting, and they're ready to kill me. And, and God tells Moses to strike a rock, and water comes out. Later on in the story, Moses' father-in-law comes to visit him, Jethro, and he watches what Moses is doing and sees Moses acting as the sole judge over the people, solving the disputes, and he says, you can't do this. Like, you have to have help. You need to select some capable men to, to help you with this. And, and you can almost, I can imagine Moses' sigh of relief when he's, his father-in-law is saying, you need help. <laughs> you can't do this by yourself. And Moses is like, yeah. And he selects some men to help him. And finally, all these different things, working through all these different things, finally the, the, the mass of people comes to Mount Sinai, which is Mount Horeb, and that's where God had originally called Moses from the burning bush. And finally they reach that spot, special spot, and God starts to speak to Moses, and Moses is relaying um, the message to the people, and God says, I want to, to reestablish my covenant with you. You guys are going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And, uh, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my law. And so he says, prepare. I'm coming in a few days. And so they prepare, and... The day God gives them the law, um, they're at Mount Sinai, and, and it's just this magnificent sight. You have these giant clouds coming down. You have thunder and lightning and a very loud trumpet blast. There's smoke, and, and the Lord descends on the mountain in fire. Um, the, there's violent earthquakes, everything's shaking, and Moses speaks out to God. And, and a voice answers out of this majestic scene. And God speaks audibly to Moses. And he gives him the Ten Commandments and the laws. Um, and, and he calls Moses to go up the mountain. And so the people see all this is happening. But God calls Moses to go up the mountain to receive the law. And so he does that. And he, we don't know how long he stayed up there that first time. But he stays up there for a long time, days probably. The second time he went up, it was 40 days. And, and the people, I don't know, I don't know what was going through their minds. I don't know if, if the, that scene disappeared, um, if, if the lightning went away. I don't, I don't know how it all looked. But after a while, the people thought Moses had died. And they thought that their, their, their person, their connection to God was gone, and they rebelled, and they asked Aaron to um, create a golden calf for them, and they started worshiping that golden calf. And so they completely turned their backs on God and betrayed that covenant. And God was, finally Moses did come down, and God was ready, ready to destroy the Israelites because he had done all this for them, and they, they had broken the covenant. And Moses steps in and pleads with God to forgive and to reestablish 
his covenant. And this is kind of where we're going to start looking at the story more closely. Because Moses um, does something really cool. He sets up a tent of meeting, and he set it up right outside of the camp. And after he came down and talked to the people, he said, well, this is where we're going to meet with God in this tent. And when he would go and pray to God in that tent, the people would stand at the entrance of their tents and worship God and just wait for him wait for him to come out. And um, Exodus says that God spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So I'm wondering about Moses during this time. I mean, can you imagine what it must feel like to be Moses, to go through all that, to to be called by God, to finally say yes to God, to be nervous and scared, and then to be confronted with these impossible tasks one after another, convincing Pharaoh to let his people go, the three million people to get across the Red Sea, needing food and water on a daily basis for these people, trying to keep that mass of people organized and, and semi, you know, out of chaos. But it, it was, it was, it was a roller coaster ride. It was chaotic for Moses, never quite no, knowing what's around the corner. And, and Moses was really tired. Moses was really tired. And this is, and, and finally he's, he's looking at what's happened and he's thinking, gosh, we need to reestablish everything. We kind of need to start over with God. And, and this is the story that we pick up today. So it's going to be in Exodus 33. Moses is praying to God, and he says, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. So Moses goes to God, and you can almost hear the exhaustion in his voice. He's saying, you've told me to lead these people, but who else is coming with me? Like, who who are you going to send to help me? He says, you you say you know me by name, you know me personally, but please, show me the way, teach me your way. I mean, you can hear him trying to understand and trying to seek guidance from God, and at the end he says, remember, this this is your nation. Your people. I can't be in charge of, of all of these people. This is, this is you, God. And I, I felt similar feelings to Moses. And I wonder if all of us have at one point where we felt completely just overwhelmed and exhausted. I mean, I mean have you ever told God, God, I want to follow you, but I just can't do this. Like, this is too hard. Whatever, whatever the this is in your life, whatever you're in, what I'm going through right now, I just can't do. I just don't have it in me. And I love God's response to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And I can't help but ask, how can God require so much of Moses and also promise to give him rest? And, and God says, he know, I know what you're going through. I know you by name, Moses. So God's, God sees Moses' stress and fatigue and overwhelmedness. In my mind, um, there, there's three things, general directions God could take with that. One, he could take it away. He could take his, his burden away. He could make it easy. So in Moses' case, make, you know, force the people to, to do what they're supposed to do or whatever. So take it away, make it easy. Or the third, he could empower Moses through his spirit to accomplish the impossible task before him. And I think he chooses the, the third. Moses says, I can't do this without you. And God says, I know, but I will go with you and I will teach you my ways because I know what you're going through. I know you and I will empower you in my presence and my strength will be the source of your rest. And I just find that so beautiful. I find that so comforting. Continuing on in the story, verse 18. Then Moses said to God, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face you might not see. You, may, you must not see. So the Lord, uh, Moses makes a request of God, and, it, and, and to us in our culture today, it sounds kind of strange, but he says, now show me your glory, the glory of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God, the, the character of God. Um, so really what Moses is asking for here is a closer relationship with God. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with you, but I, I, I need to, to see I need to, to be a part of a really close relationship with God, with you. And God says, okay. And it's interesting, God, so Moses says, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. God equates his, his goodness to the glory. And I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if it was something physical. I imagine that it was some, some sort of physical manifestation of God. But I really don't know. Um, I don't know if it was like a real hand that covered Moses. Like, we'll just have to ask God when we get to heaven. Like, I have no idea um, what that looked like. But it's beautiful that God said yes. Moses says, show me your glory. Let me have a closer relationship with you. And God says, God says yes. He also says, I will proclaim my name to you. In his name, Yahweh, I am, or he is um, the name in ancient cultures uh, communicated uh, character. And so God's saying, I, I am, I am, I'm real, I exist. And he says, and I will have compassion and I will have mercy because those are things. So God talks about his, his existence, God talks about his goodness, God talks about his mercy, and God talks about his 
compassion when Moses says, I want to know you more. Continuing on, um, we're going to move down to Exodus 34, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. So God is talking about himself. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And we go, yes, I like that. That's an awesome God. And God continues. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I did like, what? (laughs) Like, this is a double take? Like, did I read that right? (laughs) So... We're going to take a time out here because when, when we encounter, that's just going to happen when we read scripture. We're going to encounter things that at first really don't make sense or that we, we almost find offensive. Like, what do you mean you would punish children for the sins of the parents? And, and that's a really good time to dig deeper. That's a really good time to really stop and, and do some research and think about that passage and, and look at the context in which that passage was in. So in the, in the context of this story of God having forgiven Israel over and over and over, and in the context right in verse 7 of God saying, um, I'm forgiving of, all wicked, of wickedness, rebellion, and sin, it really doesn't make sense that he would say then, yeah, he, won't, he, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And so we really have to think about, okay, so what, what does this mean? And first I want to say what it, what it doesn't mean. Because there was this misconception in Israel that if a parent sinned, then the kids would, be, would suffer um, some sort of disease or, or some sort of accident from it. And in Ezekiel 18, um, Ezekiel spends a whole chapter on this. And in verse 20, he says, The one who sins is the one who will die. And the child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. So even in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament covenant, this misconception is addressed in saying, no, it's, it's the one who sins that has to pay the penalty for that sin. And then I think back, I uh, think forward in the New Testament, uh, when Jesus encountered a man who was blind from birth and his disciples came to him and asked Jesus so who was it that sinned was it this man or was it his parents and so again that misconception in the Israelites that that the kids would be punished for their parents sins and Jesus says neither this happened so that the works of God could be displayed in him so so then we have to ask, so what, what does God mean by this? Why is God, why is God saying this? And I found um, a chart that I want to show with you about punishment versus discipline. And I found this to be really helpful. It says, the purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty for an offense. Whereas the purpose of discipline is to train for correction or maturity. The purpose of punishment, uh, I mean, the focus of punishment is past misdeeds, whereas the focus of Discipline is future correct acts. The attitude of punishment is hostility and frustration on the part of the parent. 
and the attitude of discipline is love and concern on the part of the parent. The resulting emotion in the child, the one receiving this, the punishment, is fear and guilt. And the resulting emotion in the child uh, for discipline is security. And this makes a lot of sense to me. The, the translation that we were looking at uses the word punishment, but discipline makes a lot more sense to me when we look at the character of God. God doesn't want to punish us to be, to be mean. In fact, if we think about it, um, in a holy God, a righteous God, he can't just bat, you know, blink his eyes and not look at our sin. And, and so the sin does have to be paid for. In Romans six twenty three, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God doesn't want, God can't just not look at our sin. It has to be paid for, but he didn't want us to suffer that punishment. And so he took that penalty of that sin on himself. And he sent Jesus to die for our sin. So what is he saying here? I wonder at that first section, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, if that's talking about God's holiness. He can't just disregard sin, though he is forgiving and loving and merciful, and he wants to continue to be forgiving, loving, and merciful. He can't just disregard sin, and so he took that punishment on himself, that penalty for that sin. And then the next part, he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I'm thinking that here God is talking more about discipline, that he wants to discipline Israel so that they will repent and they will come back to him. And unfortunately, when there is sin, even if sin is paid for, and even if there's repentance, there are consequences of sin in our lives. Sin destroys Lives and if and if you've been a part of or seen families um, where sin was present, the kids often suffer, you know. And and in small ways or in big ways, sin affects children. Either they suffer from it, or you'll see cycles in families where the same struggle and the same sin is repeated for generations, and that's because those are learned behaviors. And so here's how I would interpret this, this passage. Here's, here's my own interpretation, my own paraphrase. In his holiness, God cannot leave the guilty unpunished. So he took the penalty himself in Jesus, in Jesus' death on the cross. And then God disciplines people, both the parents and the children, stuck in cycles of sin in order to bring them back into relationship with him. Because God's desire is that we live in relationship with him. God's desire for the Israelite people was to live in covenant relationship with them, and God's desire for us is, is, is the same. Whew, having, having dug a little deeper on that passage, let's go back now to verse, to verse 6. What does this say about God's character? The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, I am. I am real. I exist. I am here. I am compassionate and gracious. God's saying, I care. 
I know you, I see you, and I care. I am slow to anger. God says, I'm slow to anger. I don't react out of a temper. Abounding in love and faithfulness. When I think of abounding, I think of like a a, a bubbling brook or a, a spring that just water keeps coming up. It's abounding in love and faithfulness. It's never ending. It keeps coming. And as if that's not enough, just to make sure we get it, God says, maintaining love. So not just abounding, keeps coming, but that love doesn't change. Maintaining love to thousands, a love that perseveres, that doesn't go away. See, God doesn't stop loving people when they sin. God doesn't stop loving us ever. God loves us. Sometimes we come across difficult seasons in life and, and, and we could even ask, well, can God really love me if I've done this, if I'm doing this? And God loves no matter what. And then it says, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You know, he says it three different times, three different ways. I think he means all sin. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Anything is forgivable if we repent we turn to God. And that's just, um, it's a beautiful thing, especially hearing it from God spoken to is- the Israelites right after they had just completely turned their backs on him. So moving on in verse 8 through 10, so Moses bows down to the ground at once and worshiped. That was Moses's response. He bows down and he worships. He says, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And the Lord replies, I am making a covenant with you. Before your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in the world. And so God forgives Israel again, and he reestablishes his covenant with them. In this story, I feel like the main character is God. We talk about Moses a lot, and it, we can learn so much from Moses, and we can relate to Moses. I can relate to Moses. But the main character is God. He calls Moses, Moses to do really hard things, really impossible things, and he chooses not to pave the road for him and not to make it easy for him. But instead, he says, I will be with you. I will perform miracles and I will give you rest in the midst of this chaos. I will be with you, I will perform miracles, and I will give you rest in the midst of this chaos. And that, to me, is so comforting. We serve the same God, the same God who's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love, and forgiving us. And we're, we're the Moses in this story. God calls us to do hard things. And sometimes those hard things feel impossible. And, and sometimes we just, we're exhausted and we're overwhelmed. But God is with us. Some of the general calling, a general calling for all of us is to live a life of love. And sometimes that's really, we think that's really easy and sometimes that's really hard. Um, 
especially since God's not just meaning the people you like, you know, love them, but just live a life of love. So that's kind of our general calling. But there's specific callings that God has for each of us in our life. And some of them are big things and some of them are small things. And, and I found, at least for myself, that this is true. I think for all of us it's probably true that in different times and, and depending on what the calling is, we're, we're like Moses in, in, different, in various phases of his life. Sometimes we're running away from God's calling. And sometimes we're just pleading with God, please send someone else. I don't want to do this. Um, sometimes we've, we've said yes to God and we're stuck right in the middle of the hardship and the chaos and we're crying out to God and we're saying, we can't do this, we need you. And then sometimes we've seen God's miracles and we're praising God and we're worshiping God and we're ready to take on that next roller coaster. So I don't know what God, what God's, um, calling is for your life, the specific callings. I don't know if it, what phase you're in on some of those specific callings, if you're just trying to decipher those, figure those out, or if you're right there in the middle of the chaos. Um, I think for some of us, we're, in the, we're right smack dab in the middle of the chaos of parenting. If you're a parent, that is a calling, <laughs> and that is challenging at times. Um, maybe it has to do more with your work or your career. Um, maybe you're a teacher about to go back to school, and that is a big calling, and that can feel chaotic. Um, maybe God laid it on your heart and said, hey, you're going to be a pastor, and you're like, what? <laughs> How do you do that? I've been there, am there. So wherever you're at, um, I just want to say that if things are hard and chaotic, it doesn't mean that God's not present. If things are hard, it doesn't mean that God's not present. Um, God is, is all-powerful, and he's compassionate and loving and merciful, even in, in the chaos. And in fact, sometimes it's in the chaos when we turn to God and we just say, God, I can't do this, and we completely surrender to God, that we can see God more clearly and we can experience that character uh, of love more clearly. So here's what I believe he has for us today. I think it's the same thing, very similar to what he said to Moses. Um, he's, want, he's saying to us, keep saying yes to what I've called you to do. Don't give up on it. Keep saying yes to what I've called you to do, and I will be with you, and I will perform miracles, and I will give you rest in the midst of that chaos. I want to I have that kind of relationship with God. I want to I be able to say yes in that way. I want to be able to walk through the chaos bravely because I feel his presence and I know he will empower me with his strength and I know his spirit will guide me. And that's the invitation to all of us. We get to be that close to God just like Moses was. So our invitation for this week is to go deeper, surrender completely, and reach out to God in the chaos, whatever chaos you're experiencing, because he always shows up, and it's always incredible. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, your character as we see in this story, a God who is loving, a God who is merciful, a God who wants to be in relationship with us. We also see a God who is all-powerful, 
we see a God who converses with Moses and converses with us, communicates back and forth, a God who listens. God, we come before you today and we ask to know you in this way, to have a deeper, closer relationship with you. Lord, we surrender our desires and our will and we ask you to show us the way even if it's one step at a time or one roller coaster at a time god we ask that you would teach us your way and show us who you are and help us to be brave brave enough to say yes to you in jesus name amen